Alrighty. So good to see you all. Um, I miss you all. I wish that we weren't on Zoom anymore, but we have what we have. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, if you could, today we're actually not going to be in the book of Mark like we normally are. We're going to be in the book of Matthew. So if you don't know where Matthew is, you can go to Mark and then just turn back one book. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew and we're going to be in chapter six, Matthew chapter six. So Matthew chapter six, verse, starting with verse 24. And today we're actually going to be obviously deviating from our normal series in the book of Mark. And we're doing this, uh, a sermon called the gospel and anxiety. Right. Do you guys remember when Leighton preached on the gospel and entertainment media? Who's there for that? Remember he talked about book of Colossians, talked about like video games and um, watching YouTube videos and all that stuff. They could. So this is going to be the second uh, sermon in that series, the gospel. And, and today is the gospel and anxiety. So if you have your Bibles with me, please open to Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. We'll read all the way to verse 34, the end of the chapter. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we eat? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Please pray with me. Father, we come to you now with hearts that are busy and full. Busy with all of our worries and our our stress over the past week, whether it be tests or family or just not being able to see our friends or, or even the deep fears and worries that are so much deeper than just day to day. Lord, we bring all these things to you. And I ask, Father, that you would comfort us, that you restore to us the joy of salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you'd help us to truly hear what your word says, that you'd calm our hearts, Lord, by your power and your love. Lord, I know that my heart is anxious. I know that every kid's heart is anxious and that every youth leader's heart is anxious, Lord. We, we carry so much on our shoulders. So I ask, Lord, for grace that you would help us to cast all our anxieties upon you because you care for us. I thank you so much for this time. Would you bless us, Lord? It's in Christ's name. Amen. So I have a question for you. And if you have an answer, please go feel free to unmute yourself and give a quick answer. My question is, what is anxiety? What is anxiety? 
Leaders, you can answer too. Being stressed. Stressed, yeah. Having fear of being scared. Having fear of being scared, that's good. I guess it's like fear, but then on a whole and on a whole other level to the point where it affects other aspects of your life. Mm. It's like an overwhelming fear, like a crippling fear. Yeah, good. It's almost like an uneasiness. An uneasiness, yeah. Kind of like your stomach is like knotted, right? Like you just don't feel right. It's good. What else? Nervousness. Nothing can like shake off. Uh-huh. So, yeah, nervousness that nothing can shake off. That's a really good way of putting it. Maybe one more? It's the fear of not being in control. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. That's a really good definition. Did you uh, look at my sermon notes or something? Um, <laughs> no, so I struggle all... with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all in the right place then. <laughs> yeah, so those are all really good, really good definitions. Thanks for sharing. Um, but you notice everyone uses kind of a different explanation, right? And all of those things are our experience with anxiety. Um, it's not really easy to define, to be honest. But we, we all know what it feels like, right? We feel stressed, like there's a heavy weight upon our chest. You feel like you're crushed, like you don't, you don't have any room to make a mistake or you feel afraid, like you wanna run away, but sometimes you're not even sure what you're running from or what you're running to. Or sometimes you might just be anxious because you feel alone or nervous or scared or vulnerable or weak. Other times you just feel worried and your mind's filled with all these questions. What if I never get better at spelling? What if I'm not good enough? What if my family gets sick? What if I fall behind in this class? Or what if I make a mistake? What if a terrible accident happens to someone I love? What if I make the wrong choice? Right. Sometimes when it gets really bad, you feel like actually you're about to die. Like your heart's gonna stop because it's pounding so hard. Or you feel like you can't breathe because you're so full of panic. Right. These are all the things that anxiety does to us. I'll use the word anxiety to describe all of these experiences. And it's something I can confidently say we all have felt before. Whether you're young or old or boy or girl, youth leader or student, it's not a question of, have you ever been anxious before? It's really a question of what makes you anxious and what makes me anxious. For some of us, anxiety is kind of like the background noise to our life, like that, that hum that just won't go away. There's an ever constant pressure that's just there from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to sleep. For some of us, it's actually like a 50 pound weight hanging around our neck, dragging us down to the floor. For others, we're anxious about getting a good grade, something very specific in a very certain class that's hard for us. For some of us, we're actually anxious about finishing everything that we have to do for the day, right? Making sure we finish all our homework, finish all our chores. For others of us, we're anxious about our loved ones getting hurt. And so for some of us, we're just anxious to get to the weekend so we can finally relax. Let me ask you something. Does the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners, does that have anything to say about our anxiety about school? Can the good news of Jesus Christ address our anxieties about making friends? Does the good news of Jesus Christ speak to our anxiety about the future? The answer is yes, absolutely yes. Christ speaks to our hearts, our anxious hearts with his good news. 
And so that brings us to our key idea for today, which is when we trust God as God, anxiety melts to peace in Jesus Christ. When we trust God as God, anxiety melts to peace in Jesus Christ. So you'll notice from your notes, today's going to be a little bit different. Our headings are actually questions, right? And those questions are from someone named David Pallison, um, who was a biblical counselor. And those will be kind of be our points for the sermon as you follow along. So as I ask these questions, think hard about them. Maybe write down your answer and share your answer during a small group. The questions are meant to help you examine yourself and to really show yourself how you view God, which is one of the most important things about us. So that brings us to our first question. Our first question is, what are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? Another way to ask that question is, what are you worried about losing? Or what are you anxious to get? I'll start. Um, I'm anxious about finishing my essays that are due for school in a few few weeks. Um, I'm anxious about trying to care for all of you, middle schoolers. I'm anxious about shepherding the youth leaders who get to serve in youth ministry with you, or with, with, yeah, with you. Um, I'm anxious about my family NorCal because I haven't seen them in a while. I'm anxious about my home church not having a pastor, um, about my own future, about being away from church for so long, about having, about being a good friend to other people. Ironically, I'm anxious about preparing a sermon about anxiety. So we're all part of the same club. <laughs> what are you anxious about? What are you anxious about? Maybe it's about school or about growing up or getting sick or being bored out of your mind, or maybe just what your friends think about you. Maybe it's about if COVID will ever end, or maybe it's just getting better at that video game or making friends over Zoom or just making it to the weekend where you can finally do what you really wanna do. Your youth advisors can share more in, in your small groups and I encourage you guys to share what you're anxious about. But I can pretty confidently say that we're all anxious about work in our careers, about having unreasonable losses, maybe about being too busy or our family's health or finances, being able to afford a house, or maybe even just being able to afford rent, and about dating and engagement and marriage and having kids and parenting and retirement, you know, all the, all the big adult things we have to think about now. We're anxious about our family members who are not saved. We're anxious about being maybe a little bit too comfortable during quarantine. We're anxious about our nation and the election coming up in, what, five days? Something crazy like that. <laughs> and we're anxious about how we can care for you. Assuredly, some of these anxieties are actually caused by a, motiv- by a motivation to love God and to love others, right? For example, if your mom is sick, you probably are rightly anxious about her because you love her and you care about her. Or if your friend is struggling with really negative thoughts that she wants to hurt herself, you, you're right to be anxious about her because you love her and you care about her, right? Or if you live in a really stressful home environment and it's just tough, right? Yeah, you have a really good reason to be anxious because you're afraid for your safety. Those kind of anxieties, the, the good, the, the loving anxieties that are motivated by love for others and love by, for God. Actually, I'm not going to talk about those today. Right? Instead, I wanted to ask you, if you are in that situation, please come talk to Pastor Eric, talk to me or youth leader. Right? We want to help. Those anxieties are a whole nother level. And we want to just love and pray and minister to you. Right? So if that is you, you're in this really anxious kind of situation, please come talk to us. But today, instead of talking about the anxieties that motivate our love for God and love for others, I just wanna talk about the anxieties that are more the everyday anxieties, like I shared about in the beginning, school and work and family and friends. That brings us to our next question. Why are you anxious? And by that, I mean, if anxiety is the fire, what's the fuel? Why are you anxious? 
So this one's a little bit harder to answer. Um, so let's dig into our text. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Here, Jesus, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you, what you will put on. Right? So Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything, food, drink, clothing. Then he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, think about it. Is life more than food? Well, yeah, I mean, like I like food, right? But life is more than food. Life is about loving God, it's about loving people. It's about learning and growing and um, yeah, just being a human being. <laughs> That's more than just eating, right? Okay, so isn't life more than clothing too? Like, yeah, it's more than what you just put on. It's about the things you do and the people you get to love and all the experiences you get to have, right? So in a sense, Jesus is really saying, okay, let's zoom out. Zoom out from your anxieties and let's look at the big picture, okay? Then he brings in the first illustration. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now that's true, right? The birds don't have barns. They just pick up whatever's on the ground and they eat it. They don't have pantries or snack drawers for the winter. They're not anxious about where they're going to get their next meal. Why? Because God the Father feeds them. Right? Then Jesus says, are you not of more value than they? Well, yeah. Every human being is more worthy than a bird. Right? Our Heavenly Father cares for the birds, and therefore he cares for us. If he provides for the birds, why would we doubt that he would provide for us? Right? Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? All right, so let me, let me say a show of hands. Uh, which one of you can make yourself grow long or live longer by worrying? Anyone? How about make yourself um, grow taller by worrying? Even like a little bit, like an inch, like half an inch, anyone? No, right? That's ridiculous. Like, I don't have that kind of power. You don't have that kind of power either, right? But Luke 12 puts it this way. Luke 12, verse 25. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot even do a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? If you can't do this little thing of making yourself live longer by an hour or make yourself grow a little bit taller, why do you worry about all the big things of life? That's what Jesus is saying, right? In comparison to feeding all the birds of the world, adding a single hour to your life is a very small thing. So Jesus is saying, if you can't do that tiny thing with your anxiety, why are you anxious about big things like food and drink and clothing? You have no control. You're not in charge. It doesn't depend on you. That's the first answer to the question, why are we anxious? We're anxious because we think that we're in control. As David Pallison says, warriors, warriors act as if they might be able to control the uncontrollable. That's something central to the problem of worry. It's the illusion that we can control things. If, I, if we live under the illusion that we're in control, guaranteed it will lead to anxiety. And let me demonstrate that, right? Never in my life have I woken up and said, oh man, how am I going to feed all the birds of the earth today? I've never ever thought that, okay? Why not? Because I don't. that's not my responsibility, right? I don't think that's up to me. And therefore, I really don't worry about it. In the same way, you've probably never woken up and said, oh man, where am I going to sleep tonight? Right? Will I sleep on the streets or in the park? You just assume that you're going to sleep in your bed, which is probably like 10 feet from you, right? You assume that because your parents have provided a place to live. 
that's their job, not yours. Just like an infant, right? Doesn't worry about where his next meal is going to come from. You don't worry about where you're going to sleep because your parents have provided. It's in, that's their responsibility, not yours. But now let's flip it. Let's say you lived as if it were your responsibility to pay rent. You have to pay maybe $1,000 a month or $2,000 or $3,000 or $4,000 or $5,000 a month just to have a place to live. Now, I know some of you have piggy banks and some of you probably have like, you know, savings and stuff, but you probably don't have that much money. Okay. That's a lot of money, especially after month one, it's probably all gone. Right. So what are you gonna do for month two? And I mean, yeah, you probably need to quit school and get a job, but you need to get a really good job. And as a middle schooler, that's like pretty tough because, you know, you don't have a high school diploma yet, which is kind of necessary for working in America. Um, maybe you could sell all your toys, you know, or maybe you could ask your grandma for money, but that's a lot of money. I mean, you'd worry, right? Oh man, how am I gonna pay for this? If I don't have enough money, I'll be forced to live in the van. Like how, how are we gonna shower? How are we gonna eat? Like it's just all these bad things will happen if you can't pay for your rent. Anxiety takes over because you're trying to do what's impossible for you, impossible. Now, by the Lord's grace, I have a job and so I can pay for rent, right? But what if I thought it were my responsibility to feed all the birds of the world? I mean, I'm just stressed thinking about it, right? I could come up with a plan and try to rely upon myself. I was like, okay, I get a plane and I'll fill that plane with a bunch of bird seed and worms and stuff. And I'll fly that plane really fast across the whole world. But like, that's like, it's like really fast, right? It's like a lot of birds. And how much, how much food can a plane even hold? Um, oh man, okay, I can get a lot of planes and we can all do it together. But then there's some birds that live in nests that won't get the food from the air. So maybe I can hire Amazon and they can deliver all the food to all the different nests in the world, right? Oh, but penguins are birds and penguins eat fish. So, oh my gosh, I have to hire boats to get fish to the penguins, like wherever they live in the poles or something. I mean, I could plan <laughs> and I would fail every single day as I worried more and more about all the birds that are supposedly dying because I can't feed them, my anxiety would grow, right? Why? I'm trying to do what's impossible for me, absolutely impossible for me. In both those, these situations, anxiety is built on this lie, it's up to me. It's all up to me. I have to do it. But the problem is we're trying to accomplish something that is literally impossible for us. You can't pay for rent. You're a middle schooler. I can't feed all the birds of the world. I'm a human. In a way, being anxious actually sort of makes sense. Why? Because my anxiety reveals that I'm trying to do what is impossible for me. And my anxiety is right. Jesus continues with the second illustration in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow was thrown into the oven, it's like thrown into the oven because that's what people would burn to cook food. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Lilies here is actually, they're actually kind of like the wildflowers you see on the side of the road on the highway. No one planted them there, right? No, no human being was like, oh, I'm put the seed here and water it and fertilize it and made it, you know, beautiful. They just pop up out of nowhere for seemingly no reason. They're really just weeds, right? They bloom, they blossom in glory, and then they wither and die. Soon to be useless, uh, maybe to be burned in a campfire. If God clothes the weeds in splendor and beauty, 
which only lived for a little while, then look at verse 30, right? Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We can't clothe the weeds like God. Yet we're anxious to provide clothing for ourselves. If you're worth more than birds to God, assuredly you're worth more than weeds to God. If God cares so much more about you, then why will we not trust him? The second answer to the question, why are we anxious, is this. We're anxious because we don't think God cares about us. Because we don't think God cares about us. So we have two reasons now for why we're anxious. First, we're anxious because we think we're in control. Secondly, we're anxious because we don't think God cares about us. Now let that think in. Let that, let that sink in. We're anxious because we think we're in control. That we're ultimately responsible for getting what we need. Our food, our drink, our clothing. Making friends, getting good grades, being good at sports, staying healthy, persevering in Zoom school. We think to ourselves, if something's bad is going to happen to me, I have to be the one to prevent it. Or if something good is coming to me, I'm going to be the one that earns it and gets it. We put our world on our shoulders and our anxiety is merely our emotions realizing I can't do it. In other words, when I'm anxious, I forget God. Second, we are anxious because we don't think God cares about us. We think we have to care for ourselves because if we don't, who will? Our eyes focus on the things that are in front of us, the things we think we need. Our health, our looks, our smarts, our grades, our self-worth, our stuff, our experiences, our friends, our family, our life. What we want to care for ourselves. But when we're anxious, I think we think that God has forgotten us. So we've dug a little bit and diagnosed our hearts. When we're anxious, we forget God. When we're anxious, we think God's forgotten us. But what does that actually say about God? It reveals that we don't actually think he's that powerful. It reveals that we don't think he's that loving. That brings us to our next question. In our anxiety, who is God? In our anxiety, who is God? God is first the God of all power. He's the God who's in control of everything, everything. He's the one ultimately responsible for everything, and he's never, ever anxious. Every morning, he says to the sun, rise in the east. And every evening, he says, set in the west. The winds blow and rush because of him. The waves roar and crash because of him. The nations rise and fall because of him. He feeds the birds, and he clothes the grass of the field with flowers. From the first day of creation all the way today unto eternity, God has never failed and never will fail, period. He's got the whole world in his hands, as the song says. Nothing ever happens apart from his good plan. Nothing is outside of his power. In every detail, in every plant, in every animal, every person, every nation, every planet, every galaxy, every universe, this universe, he is doing his will. Psalm 115 says this, but our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And Daniel 4 says this, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. God is a great king over all the earth. All power rests within his hands. Every single day, he works out the story of his glory in every detail. Every single day, he works out his story in your life in every detail. Do you know that God can end COVID and all the fires and this dreadful year like that, it's not hard for him. Nothing is hard for him. God's in control 
of who's going to win the election this week. God's in control of our schools, over Zoom, over the sermon. He has authority over our work, our family members, our futures, our everything. And he never leaves anything on his, on his checklist undone. God never forgets something. He never shows up late. He never oversleeps. He never makes a mistake. He never overpromises and never underdelivers. He says exactly what he will do, and he does exactly what he says. Is this your God? Is your God a great king? Who's planned every single day of the history of the world, even every single day of your life? He's a strong God, strong enough to keep his promises, to accomplish everything that he wants. This is a big God, strong enough to carry the whole world on his shoulders. He made the heavens and the earth by his great power. Nothing is hard for him, Jeremiah 32. He upholds all things by the word of his power, Hebrews 1. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Romans 11. Dear Christian, you don't need to be anxious. You're not God. You're not in control. And that's a wonderful thing. Your God is king and he's in control over everything. You can rest in him. But he's not just a big God. He's a good God. God is the God of all compassion. God is the God of all compassion. He cares for the birds. He's little tiny birds and he feeds them. He cares for the weeds and he clothes them with flowers. And God, verse uh, verse 32, God, your heavenly father knows you need all things. Tell me, who does God care more for? The birds or weeds or you? He cares for you. He cares for you. God knows things are hard right now. He knows your worries. He knows your anxieties. He knows the answers to the what if questions that plague your mind. He knows you're getting tired of Zoom school like I am. He knows you missed your friends. Our Heavenly Father knows. Christians call God our Heavenly Father. That's because he's loved us and adopted us as his own children. Dear Christian, he's your perfect father, the fountain of love and compassion and grace. He's never indifferent to your suffering. He's never cold towards your anxieties. He's never tempted to stop loving you. This is your God. He's a God compassionate enough to walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. A God who's gracious and kind to deal with the worst of sinners, even you and me. He's our shepherd king, tender to seek after the weakest of his sheep children. He's a God who's close enough to hear our tears and our fears, our worries and our anxieties. He gave us Jesus, his very best. Without a doubt, he will give us everything good by his grace. Nothing can separate us from his love. Dear Christian, you don't need to be anxious. You're not alone in this world left to care for yourself. Your God is full of love and he cares for you. You can rest in him. Some of you are saying, okay, I hear you, right? I mean, look, we all know God is powerful. We all know God is love. You hear me, but you're telling me that I need to remember that God's in control and that he cares for me. You're saying, I want to believe that, but how do I really know that's true? How do I really know that's true? That's an absolutely great question. So finally, we get to the gospel part of the sermon on the gospel and anxiety. Romans 5, 8, I think I put it on your notes. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this. But God shows his love for us 
And that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this verse starts with the word but. I think this is contrasting for something ahead, right? In the previous verses, Paul is saying that God doesn't love only the good people. There are no good people to love, right? Instead, God shows his love for who? For the sinners. For us, right? And notice that it starts with but God. But God shows his love. Not that we showed our love first so that we, you know, like, I don't know, put on our best clothes and wash ourselves off and made ourselves presentable before God. It just says God shows his love first. God is the one who initiates the gospel of grace. Also notice it does not say, but God showed his love, past tense. It says, but God shows his love. Or another way to say it is God is showing his love, present tense. How did he show us his love? How is he showing us his love? For in that while we're yet sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. In one event, the death of Jesus Christ, God continues every single day unto eternity to show his love for sinners like you and me. That's a kind of love that's incomparable. We don't love sinners. We just like people who like us. We're totally selfish in our love. But God is the one who, out of his own overflowing love, reaches down to the worst of people, even us. He loves us first. He transforms us. And it brings us to himself. Do you really want to know that God is really in control? Then look at the cross of Jesus Christ. God's grand plan before the world began was to crucify his son. I mean, think of it. By one death, God conquered death forever. Jesus died because you and I are sinners. God hates sin. And we deserve to die because of our sin and be punished forever in hell for our sin. But Jesus took the punishment of our hell. He died. The son of God himself died. And having fully paid that price, he rose in triumph over death, never to die again. And he is alive. He's alive and he reigns as king in heaven. No one is strong as, no one is as strong as God. God has death crushing power, resurrection power, sin destroying power, eternal glorious power. And we see that on the cross of our Lord. Do you want to really know that God cares for you? Then look at the cross of Jesus Christ. God crucified his own son for you. It was not a backup plan. It was a plan of love and of rescue, of salvation for you from before the world ever began, before time began. It wasn't a backup plan. It was for you you and for any sinner who would believe. This is a great love, a wondrous love, an incomparable love. And you didn't earn anything of it, not even one drop. Write it in bold notes or bold letters on your notes that God loves sinners. God loves sinners. If God's love were an ocean, we would never reach the shore. If God's love were a well, we would never reach the bottom. This is a magnificent, everlasting, forever kind of love. Ephesians 3 says this, the breadth and length and height and depth, that's like every single dimension you can imagine, of the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. 1 John 3 says this, look how great a love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. This is the gospel message. It's the good news for angels' hearts. Not only to save us from sin, but also to lead us on the Christian life. We can trust God, not only to save sinners, but to even help us stop sinning, to help us stop being anxious. God's in control. And that's so much better than you and I being in control. God cares for you. 
And that's so much better than you and I trying to care for ourselves. We can trust him. And when we do, our anxiety melts to peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we looked at our anxieties. We looked, we turned to look at our God. And now let's look at our anxiety through the lens of God himself. Next question. How can you respond to God about your anxiety? How can you respond to God about your anxiety? Now, usually we think of anxiety as a suffering or a sickness to be healed. And that, that's right. That's what I hope you've heard so far. A, a tender, compassionate, caring, helpful voice. But anxiety is also a sin to be repented of. It's also a sin to be repented of. First, it's the sin of not trusting God. When we're anxious, we don't trust God. That's why Jesus rebukes us in verse 30 of our passage. He says, oh, you of little faith. In other words, oh, you have little trust in me. Oh, you have little dependence on me. Oh, you have little prayer to me. Oh, you have little confidence in me. We doubt the most trustworthy being in all the universe, beyond the universe. We say he can't be trusted and we're wrong. Second, when we're anxious, we sin by trying to take control away from God. And we're basically saying, God, you're not a good God right now. So I'll be God. I'll control my life and I'll achieve my future and I'll get what I want. We proverbially kick him off his throne and we say, you know, I, I think I would do a better job. And third, when we're anxious, we sin by not receiving God's love. We doubt as we doubt the cross of Christ and say, oh, this, yeah, like it doesn't mean anything. Right? We say his blood didn't really change anything. We act as if God hasn't met our every need in Jesus. What shall we say to such sins? Knowing that God cares for us, we can confess to him. We can say, I'm anxious again. Help. I know you're in control, but it doesn't feel like it. I, I know you love me, but I'm struggling to believe it. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to trust you always. Jesus died for me. I will put my trust in you. You see, when we sin, our sin always separates us from God. But the crazy thing is, is that we actually need to bring our sin to God. Because in Christ, God has already accepted us. When we're anxious, when we're sinning, we need to bring our anxiety to God. That's why it says in our passage, verse 31, Jesus says, verse 31, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that means unbelievers, people are not Christian, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Let's get to verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. To our context, Jesus says, don't be anxious about your tests. Don't worry about your work. Don't fret about your future. You're not in control. I am. I will care for you. God knows you need all these things. God knows. You don't have to be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Believe me. You can trust God with today. And that is enough. This is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And lastly, go with me to verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The highest priority for a Christian is to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. That basically means you want God above all else. Your greatest desire is for him. Why? Because you know him. And you trust him. You trust him with your food, your drink, your clothing, your work, your school, your friends, your health, your family, your future. Everything is his. 
You live for the king and you trust that he is a good king and he knows how to take care of us, his sons and daughters. He gave his son. What more proof could you ever want? He is all we have and he is all we need. Six months ago, um, one of my friends reached out to me and she asked for help for working through some of her anxieties. Certain people make her relive um, some of the trauma that she's experienced and she wants to know what she could do about it. So a couple of friends and I, we, we started meeting with her. Um, we've been meeting her ever since. And we've gotten to share um, and listen and learn about her experiences um, and the resulting fear and anxiety that have plagued her ever since. I had the privilege of sharing the love of God and reminding her that we can bring all of our fears to him and saying over and over again how the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us and covers us and gives us even courage to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? We talked about the Father's sovereign love, the Son's loving sacrifice, the Spirit's enabling strength. And by God's grace, she's really grown. She's made a lot of progress. Early this month, she emailed us again. And she told us that during church service that Sunday, she had another panic attack. She was crying and, and shaking and, and scared. And she ran out and went to the bathroom fled to the bathroom. It had been months since her last breakdown. Had, had all our conversations been for nothing? Has it just been a waste of, of time? And so that I say, no, this too was a demonstration of God's grace because she sought to pray and sing in the midst of her anxieties. She said no to faithlessness and fear, choosing instead to trust her gracious God, even though her body's freaking out. After a panic attack, she even went and courageously tried to talk to the people that before she was terrified about, terrified of. She even shared openly with us without any shame, confident that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And she continues to persevere, eyes up, not downcast, loving her church, serving her friends and putting her anxieties to death day by day. I share the story with you to hold up my friend as someone who's still in progress. She's not a perfect Christian but she's a fighting Christian. She's a Christian who's fighting to trust her Lord more and more every day. A Christian who's fighting to grow in faithful courage more and more every day. A Christian who's meditating more and more about how much she needs the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that God will use even this in her life for good. We're just like her. This sermon will not magically make all your anxieties go away. I mean, Kevin already shared, right? He struggles with anxiety. So do I, so do you. But, it does mean that as we grow, as we fight, that step by step, inch by inch, in faith, we can and must give our anxieties to God. It's part of being a Christian, right? We're walking, we're flailing, we're falling, we're flopping, and sometimes we're just crawling towards Christ. But as we crawl towards him, we grow all by his grace. So dear Christian, dwell in the shelter of the most high God. Rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Say to the Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 91. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you that you are the God who promises to keep us in perfect peace. Those who trust in you are, are as defended as a, by a mighty fortress, a sovereign shepherd, a good and powerful God, Lord. 
You are God and you are all we have, Lord. Help us to trust in you forever. For you are our everlasting rock, Lord. Forgive us for our anxieties, for doubting you, for forgetting you. Lord, help us day by day, step by step, inch by inch, moment by moment, Lord, to trust you, for you are a good God who's given us everything in our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you. We love you because you love us first. It's in Christ's name. Amen.